and welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games that you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kenneke. Today's show is on Drop Chord, and my very special guest is Double Fine's own Patrick Hackett. Yes, I am here. Yeah, you are are the most special of guests that I've had on so far. Uh, it's, it's, a uh, if you're a giant bomb fan, this would be a gamers on the go EX in that we actually have somebody here from the game. And I think, uh, I think this is going to make for an interesting show. Should be good. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, first, before we kind of get into the game, I'd like to, I'd like to know a little bit about you. Um, I did, uh, do a little bit of internet stalking and, and caught your, uh, your LinkedIn page and, and saw a couple things on there. So, um, before we kind of get into schooling and, and where you worked and things like that, uh, can you tell me a little bit about like growing up, your gaming background, uh, especially anything to do with handheld games? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, uh, I grew up in Michigan and played video games. We had like an Atari 2600 when I was growing up. I've got older brothers, and I don't know if they convinced my parents to buy it or what it was, but um, I remember like growing up with that system. Um, and spent way too t- way too much time with one of my brothers playing that and Nintendo. And um, the first point I can call myself a fanboy was when the Sega Genesis came out. Like I am a huge Sega Genesis fanboy. I will still like stand my ground against the the SNES with that. <laughs> um, but it was whatever you know. Like like uh, there's tons of people that do that. They grow up and they're playing video games all the time, and like kind of takes over your world and like. You know, you even get to the point where, um, man, I was making Duke Dukem 3D maps for, like, an entire year solid. Oh, man. Um, and uh, there was one point where I was I was reading uh, a Next Generation magazine, and they had an article about um, uh, Digipen, Digipen Institute of Technology sure. in Seattle. And I pointed to it, and I was talking to my dad, and I was like, Dad, I want to go to this school. And he's like, yeah, okay, you can go there. And I, it was, it totally floored me. I did not expect him. I thought he was going to laugh at me and whatever. Um, but, uh, then four years later when I was graduating high school, I brought it back up and he's like, all right, you know, we can go check this school out if you really think you want to do it. But like, you should go to a state school, you know, like go to college for a little bit, like have like a college experience. Um, which was the smartest thing he's ever said to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, like have a marketable skill to fall back on in case exactly, all this other crap. Exactly. Yeah, is. yeah. You can go do this hobby stuff, but when it falls apart, you know, have something you can fall back on. Yeah. Um, so I went and did that, but then I ended up after two years uh, of Arizona State, I went to uh, Digipen, and that was a four-year program, um, and it was pretty intense. Um, and overall, like like a really great experience. I still, um, hang out with and am really good friends with a lot of people that I went to that school with. Um, and it got me a job in the industry and that's the whole point, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So my first job was down, um, at rainbow studios in Phoenix, uh, which was a THQ studio. And I worked there for about three and a half years making motocross, um, you know, MX versus ATV games. Right. Uh, and that was really cool, but there was this, there was this feeling at a, at a, um, uh, like a studio owned by a big publisher like that, that if I ever wanted to be in charge of my own game, um, I would have to be like a career employee, you know, like working up the ladder at a publisher that big 
takes years and years and years. And, like, you know, I'm a gameplay programmer. So even if I work to the top of that gameplay programmer ladder, I'm still not in the position where I could, like, pitch a game. You know, mm-hmm. generally that's in, uh, in those situations that's handled by, like, the designers or executive producers or whatever. Right. So I would have had to switch over to another track, which I wasn't as good at. And then work my way up. And I, I honestly, I just didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, and I was getting a little bit sick of the desert. And so I started looking around. Um, and, man, Double Fine, I kind of uh, I kind of just fell into that. Like, um, I sent my resume to them a couple months later. They wrote me back. They were looking for – they had a couple um, gameplay positions that opened up at the end of Brutal because they had some – they had some people leave and some spots open up and um, they needed to finish the game, really. Um, so I interviewed there and got hired um, and helped them finish out Brutal and then have been there since. I was uh, lead gameplay on Iron Brigade and then um, I was... I didn't call it lead gameplay, but really I was only gameplay on Happy Action Theater and then Connect Party and then, um, well, Project Lead on Dropboard now. Right. Well, I mean, coming to Double Fine is interesting because what you're talking about in, in the idea that maybe you'd want to make a game at, at some point and be the lead, that <laughs> Double Fine doesn't seem, at least at the time that you would have gotten there, to be... The kind of choice for that, because that I mean, I if anybody spent five minutes with me, they know that Double Fine is probably my favorite developer of all time, uh, mainly because of Psychonauts and how much I love that game. But Double Fine at at the time would have been, you know, here's a place that kind of caters to the vision of exactly one person all the time uh, of Tim Schafer. Like he he thinks of the idea of Psychonauts and it comes it comes out like that and. It's a Tim Schafer game. So, what what about Double Fine was it that that made you feel like I, I need to jump ship and this can be a place where I can grow and and possibly make that make that game that I'm looking to? Yeah, yeah, that's a super good point. And uh, at the time, you were right. You know, it it was Tim Schafer's studio. I mean, it is Tim Schafer's studio, but um, Psychonauts and then Brutal Legend. But really, the appeal was like the size. You know, like Rainbow was 150 people. It was three teams. But it was owned by THQ, so it had this, like, behemoth feel to it. Um, I remember walking into the Double Fine offices the first time, and uh, the lead programmer at the time who was showing me around walked me down the hall, and we got to the end of the studio, which is, you know, <laughs> 150 feet or uh-huh. something. Um, and I turned to him, and I was like, whoa, is that really it? Like, this is all this studio is? This is amazing. <laughs> Like, the size of it was just way more appealing. Like, there was just this idea that I could actually, you know, like, contribute an idea that could form into something else and become, like, this, you know, this this part of a game that, I, I don't know, I just never got that feeling at Rainbow. Okay, yeah, I get you. Like, having more input in there and, and being one of one 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 of 150 instead of one of thousands. I can, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Um, so I didn't hear any handheld games yet. So are no, not a big handheld gamer. You know what? I had a DS uh, and I had Puzzle Quest on it, and that's all I needed. <laughs> uh, the uh, the mobile revolution has been really good to our industry, um, but uh, I feel like I end up playing like reserve titles. You know, like um, 
I'm not the type of person who uh, like downloads everything that's new on the App Store. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is that I'm an Android guy, and mm-hmm. so um, I generally have to wait a little bit longer for Right, games. and your choices are super limited most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. You know, like, um, like I've always thought of the handheld market as like, okay, you do that on your commute, or you do it when you're at somebody else's house and you're hanging out or whatever, but... Um, I feel like the only time I want to play games is when I'm home, and if I'm doing that, then I might as well just be on my couch. Sure. I don't know. Um, that said, it's funny that I ended up doing drop cord, uh, and we can talk about that a little bit, you know, a little bit more later about like the process of it. But um, like experimenting in that genre uh, was super fun. You know, like it was it was super eye opening in terms of like um, how you like approach the mechanics of a game. Mm-hmm. When you're not holding like a controller and you just have like a touchscreen in front of you, yeah, and I bet it's also a pretty decent thrill to have something on your phone that you can just hand to somebody and say, "Hey, I made this. Play it." Oh my god, you have no idea. <laughs> that is the greatest thing. That is so. So many times I would be, you know, proud of working on Brutal Legend, or whatever, and be talking to some random person and. They're like, oh, yeah, I play games. What do you work on? And it's like, oh, you heard a brutal legend like Jack Black, Tim Schafer, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> and, like, if you do that with, like, Drop Chord, like, hey, you play Drop Chord? It's like this cool game, whatever. And they're like, yeah, no, I never heard of that. And it's like, okay, check it out. And just, <laughs> well, like, do I have hey. something for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, cool. Well, let's let's start talking about Drop Chord then. Uh, like, where's... Where's the inspiration comes from, come from here? Um, I know just looking at the game, and it's going to be a little hard to convey being that this is an audio podcast, but uh, it's it's got some trippy visuals, let's say. Uh, it's it's very much uh, like a visualizer. Yeah. Are you familiar with Milk Drop? I, I am. Winamp Visualizer? Definitely. Yep. That's uh, that's it. That's the that's the inspiration. <laughs> so so you're just a user of Milk Drop, uh, have, have liked it, and then you think while well, at Double Fine one day, you know what? I should make a game that's a visualizer that you can play with. <laughs> um, actually, the story is just that it's a little bit more complicated. <laughs> but the idea was um, okay. So I, I worked on Happy Action Theater and Connect Party, right. uh, which were Connect games. Um, and, uh, Drew Skillman, which, who is a, uh, he's a visual effects artist at Double Fine, super talented. He was the project lead on those, on those games. Um, and so when we're finishing up Connect Party, him and I were talking about, hey, you know, um, like, what should we go on to next? Like, you know, there was positions on the cave at Double Fine that were open that we could, you know, like, move on to, or, um, I forget what else was going on at that point, but, um. There's a couple different places that we could go, but uh, it happened that uh, Dracogen, Steve Dangler, has um, uh, an investment company, and he invested some money into Double Fine to create um, some mobile games. So we did Middle Manager of Justice, but then MMOJ was kind of finishing up at that point, or maybe it was released at that, that point, I forget, um, and we wanted to start another mobile project. And so we, uh, Drew and I started kind of in our free time um, putting together, like, like pitches. You know, we're using um, processing is a, uh, it's like a Java-based um, 
uh, environment that you can push to your phones. And so there was, there was kind of this like programming language we were writing in and then we would get, you know, demos that we could show Tim or whatever. Um, but the constraint was that it was just me and Drew and like Drew does visual effects and I'm a gameplay programmer. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have any 3d artists. We kind of didn't have any 2d artists, you know, (laughs) Like, I'm a programmer, so I can do, like, programmatic visuals, and he's really into visual effects. And so we had all these ideas with, like, oh, games about, like, fireworks or, like, just particles or, like, um, whatever, just trippy visuals. Um, And so that's kind of how we stumbled upon Dropcore. You know, like, uh, actually what the game was is an exercise in where can you put your thumbs on your phone so that your inputs are not, uh, like, clouding the screen. Right. Like, one of my biggest problems with touchscreen games is that a lot of people just do direct ports, or they, um, you know, the interactions with the objects are directly on them, which kind of works for, like, light taps for, like, Plants vs. Zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're dragging something around, like, you end up looking at the back of your finger more than you do the screen, and it always bugged me, and so... Uh, I was brainstorming on ideas of like, okay, if you just put your thumbs to the side of the screen and then project the inputs in, then you could have, you know, like you're interfacing with something on the center of the screen, but your thumbs are on the side. That is a, uh, it was literally what ended up being drop court. <laughs> that, so is, like, that is super interesting. I mean, the, the point about like not having uh, the kind of proper 3D or 2D artists, I, I think that's what kind of, the the way you had to be a little creative in how you designed it, I think, has really made the game stand out from anything else Double Fine has done. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those fun exercises, you know, like, uh, if you're ever, you know, um, excited about, like, designing games or whatever, just just really constrain yourself. You know, that's why, that's why those game jams are really fun, mm-hmm. because um, it's not like, all right, we're going to get in a room and make a game in 24 hours. Because then, like, the whole world's open. You can do whatever you want. But if somebody comes in and they're like, all right, it's in the theme, like, film noir, and it's about, like, uh, skydiving or something like that, <laughs> then it really constrains, like, what you're working with. And when it was just, you know, me and Drew, that's exactly what it was. We just had this controlled, like, constrained environment. We had to, whatever, make the best we could with what we had. Sure. Okay, so the, the game kind of starts out, on uh, on a mobile platform, you're, you're starting to kind of the ideas on a phone, uh, but that's not the way it's released first. The way it's released first is on 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 the PC and on the Mac through this device called Leap. Uh, yep. So, can you tell me the story of how how that kind of came to be? Right. Yeah. So, story takes a turn there. <laughs> so we had we had this uh, this initial demo that we called Radius that was. Um, it was just, like, very basic mechanics, um, and we threw a dead mouse song in there. Um, and we had some, like, cool visuals going to it, uh, and we showed that to Tim, and um, Tim was into it, but, um, uh, well, whatever. Tim was into it. We just hadn't started production. We had been, like, watching, like, the, the natural motion space while we were working on... Um, I was about to refer to them as Easy 5 and Easy 6. That's the code names for Happy Action Theater. <laughs> okay. um, while we're working on Connect Party, you know, we're watching this space, like, okay, what are what are people doing with, like, can it connect? Like, what's the competitors to the connect that's coming out? Um, and we saw the leap video. And so we knew that 
that Leap existed and that they were, you know, um, trying to get into like a similar space with your with your PC and whatever. Um, so fast forward to the point where we're making those prototypes, we found out that they were blocks away, like six blocks away from the Global Fine offices. Um, and we sent them an email. We're like, hey, we're game developers. We should hang out in case something cool could happen. Um, they came by the office a couple days later, and uh, or I think they sent us leaps because we had the leaps. Um, so we started, you know, like big geeks, like playing with them, like trying to make, they had a Unity plug-in, so we're making little demos. And um, we decided to actually just plug that, that radius prototype into the leap change the controls so instead of on a, on a screen, um, it was, you know, your two dancing fingers or whatever. And then the Leap guys came over, and we kind of demoed everything we'd done in the past couple days. Um, and they were super into uh, the Radius prototype. Like, they, it was just kind of like the combination of the visuals and the music and what we were doing with their device, they were really into it. And so then it kind of, like, formed this partnership with them um, and that became like the driving platform for the game. Nice. So, so you've you're finished with you're starting with Leap. You're you're putting it on the PC. Where does where does Ouya come in in this situation? Because you're out on the Ouya now too, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Ouya came in a little bit later. Uh, we um, we put together, you know. As I said, we like the the leap version was kind of the forward facing, like that, that's the one we developed first, and that's the one you know we showed at PAX um, that you saw, and um, uh, then once we once we got around, you know, like once we got to a point where the game was starting to feel a little bit solid, where um, honestly where our time was running out, um, we knew we wanted to put it back on mobile, where the whole idea started from. Um, and so we started working toward like those ports and, uh, honestly, Tim came in one day and was like, Hey, I just plugged in my Ouya and, uh, it's not a whole lot on there right now. So we should get a game on there. <laughs> and so that was it. That was, you know, like the Ouya is an Android based system. That's so, right. So uh, it shouldn't be that different. Yeah. Yeah. It ends up being pretty similar. You know, we, uh, um, uh, we talked to, um, some people from Ouya, they came over and checked out the game, and um, they were into it. But, um, you know, like, we we agreed with them. They wanted kind of, like, it, their own experience on the Ouya, and we kind of agreed, you know, like, it's it's a very different thing to take, um, you know, a four- or five-inch phone screen and blow it up onto a TV. Um, and so we made sure to kind of, like, customize the visuals a little bit for the Ouya, and, of course, we had to change around all the menus and, um, to use buttons and joysticks and whatever. But um, for the most part, it was kind of an easy port, you know, because we were doing the Android version already. Sure. Well, I mean, let's get into that a little bit more because I because the demo that I played at PAX East, uh, where I actually got to use the Leap, that was very interesting. Uh, having uh, having the corded headphones though, uh, where it would sometimes cross over the Leap controller, made it maybe not the most precise thing at the time. And, you know, you have a bunch of people around and, and the lights and, uh, it was, it was very interesting, but at that point it, it seemed a little bit more like proof of concept. I haven't gotten to play, I don't own a leap, so I haven't gotten to play the finished version. Um, I, I've watched you play it on, on other places like giant bomb and, and see that, uh, there definitely is a lot more fidelity to it. Uh, but like, how does, 
how do the different uh, versions play? Like how I mean, I can I can tell that there's a difference uh, in the way that things play from from uh, iOS device to how it would work on a Leap controller, and uh, it sounds like Ouya has its own kind of different way of playing. So uh, like when you're when you're developing the game. How do you consciously figure out, like, okay, well, this this might work for the PC, but I don't think that this idea technically works on on a touchscreen interface. So how how do we make the changes there? Yeah, um, you know, like we started with the mobile, um, and actually the uh, the reason that we knew that Ouya was even a possibility was kind of an accident. Um, when I was when we first started developing the Leap version, I had to make, um, I'm going to call it a level editor, but all it really was was this this custom version of the game where I could drag around the notes and the scratches okay. so that I could build those patterns, you know? Um, and so it, it was just a level editor where I could drag the things around, add, delete them, um, and then save it out to a file, and then that's read in by the game. And so, you know, the game has 150 different patterns that it throws at you. Um, but while I was I was creating that editor, um, I wanted to test it. You know, like I wanted to be able to like test the patterns. Um, and uh, I happened to have an Xbox 360 controller plugged into my computer, and so I just made it recognize the input from that, and then was like, "Oh yeah, this would work on the two joysticks," and hooked it up to that, and it worked way better than we expected. And so then we we're like, "Oh, well, we can just put this game on Steam." You know, like. We could do a leap version, but then we could just do the PC version as well. But we ended up kind of pumping the brakes on that because um, PC gamers like their mouse and keyboard. Sure. You know, like having a PC game that requires um, a uh, a controller is kind of a no no. So, um, also once we got further down the road, you know, like we think of the game as kind of like a. Um, like the natural motion input is the best for the PC and Mac, you know, like it almost do it a disservice to re-release it on PC and Mac with controls mm-hmm. um, or joystick controls or whatever. Um, but back to your question about, uh, you know, kind of rethinking the game for the input. Um, at that point we knew that the, like the basic uh, cord controlling mechanics were going to work for all the platforms we do. Right. Uh, the only things that were left were um, we introduced these interludes uh, in the Leap version. I mean, they're in every version, but as we're building the Leap version, we introduced them just to kind of break up the gameplay, you know? Like, we didn't want 10 levels over and over where you're just controlling the chord and it, and it goes through each song. And Like, we still had mechanics that were introduced, but you need those, like, ripples in gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... The Leap version, you know, like, we're trying to find another excuse to show off the fidelity of the Leap, and so we introduced this section that you probably have seen in some of the other videos um, where there's just kind of these, like, floating bubbles that fly around, um, and they have numbers on them, and that is, uh, like... The number uh, of fingers you'd need to hold above Exactly, it, right? yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it says, like, one, and that's one finger, or two, and that's two, and, you know... Um, we are trying to show off the fact that the Leap can track all ten of your fingers. Mm-hmm. And so if we throw up a couple bubbles that both say three on them, you can have six inputs that are, you know, then completing the pattern. Um, 
And it also was an opportunity for us to explore, like, the, uh, the depth sensing of the Leap. You know, like, the Leap is not, like, a two-dimensional tracking software. It has, it has like, Z depth. Mm -hmm. um, and so in those sections, if you move your hands forward and back, like, toward your monitor and back, um, the entire game world shifts around. Yeah. And depending on, like, how much you shift the game world, we actually, like, augment the... Um, the music a little bit in those sections. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Kind of like, so so just like a little bonus. Yeah, exactly. That, that was just kind of like, all right, break up the gameplay, introduce something new, you know, like, you know, play around with this awesome device that you just bought. Um, but when we switched over to, or switched back to mobile and Ouya, like, you lose that ability to do the depth stuff. Right. right? So we kind of had to rethink those sections, and they ended up... Um, you know, being like, like tapping sections or um, on the Ouya, you're actually controlling these two little particle effects. I don't know how to explain them any better than that. <laughs> okay. um, and you're, you're flying them around, and you have to, like, hover them over the dots. Right. Uh, just the same. Yeah. Uh, and is there, a, is there a version of the game you prefer to play? Like, what's, what's the one that would be best, I guess, for scoring? Like, if you're trying to get the best score out of any of them, it's crazy, right? Like, to think that the game started as a mobile game and then went to Leap and then came back to mobile and ended up on Ouya. Like, um, I want the Android version to be my favorite version. Like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to force myself just because of exactly what we were talking about earlier, where, like, somebody talks about the game, I bring it out, like, it's on my phone, you know? Like, right. that should be the best version. But I think it's just because... I played so many hundreds of hours of the Leap version that I like that version more than the other ones. And I, I think there's also an intuitiveness to the to the using the Leap, where uh, especially for things like uh, where you spin spin the cord around, that that just works so much more intuitively on on that kind of a device than it would on an iPhone, where you kind of have to uh, do a swipe. Uh, I mean, it still works, but uh, the swipe just doesn't feel as I mean, the the cliched term would be visceral, uh, where yeah. you're actually like really cranking on cranking that down, and and you see it spin around a number of times. Uh, I did get the the achievement in the uh, in the iPhone version for having it spin around three times, and and I felt like a badass for yeah. whatever reason. But that was that was absolutely great. Um, but it, it is interesting how how those different versions play. I think uh, before watching. Uh, a couple more videos of you playing the game, I would have said that uh, you'd get more of that intuitiveness on a Leap controller, but that maybe you'd get a little more precision on on an iOS or, or an Android uh, device. But I think watching you more, it actually probably is more precise on, on a Leap controller as well. I think it is. I think it is, and I think a lot of it is really um, that uh, you just have a bigger space to play in. You know, if you play on, like, an iPad or, like, a nice uh, big Android tablet or whatever, you've got um, a lot more precision, you know. But um, I feel like you can move your fingers around a little bit faster on the lead version. Um, the other thing is, you know, like, inspiration of the game, uh, no joke, we had Milk Drop running for a day at work <laughs> just to kind of, like, steal ideas from it. Sure. Uh, and, you know, like, Milk Drop looks the best at 60 frames a second with, like, crazy amounts of buffers and 
um, shaders running and all that stuff. And so the uh, the leap version shows that stuff off the best. You know, sure. we had to we had to pare some things down for the mobile and the Ouya versions. Um, and uh, I don't know how much digging around you did in the in the iPhone version, but there's a visual settings uh, selector, mm-hmm. and um, we really tried to like you know smart pick that like look at the device or what we could get of the you know the system specs of your phone or whatever and then pick what was going to run the best like right out of the gate right um but we want to encourage people to mess with that you know like if they feel it's a little bit sluggish like go to the standard graphics or um what i'm seriously so excited for is in two years i'll get like the samsung galaxy s6 or whatever (laughs) it will be and then i want to run those future settings like those future settings are the PC quality uh, visuals. Nice. But, like, we don't have anything that runs them very well. You know, like, I've got a Galaxy S4 right now, but the screen is 1080p. Mm-hmm. And so, like, running all those shaders all over all those pixels, like, just crushes the phone. Sure. I mean, that, so. that is interesting. I mean, I think we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the future of drop cord uh, somewhat later in the show, but is that something that... Uh, you guys would be releasing later? Like, hey, uh, a couple years down the line, new iPhones have come out, new Android phones have come out, and you'll say, like, hey, well, here's an update that has higher definition uh, stuff and and more of the shaders and and more of that stuff. Is that in the plans? Yeah, maybe. I mean, um, we, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's that's in there um, under, like, the future quality, um, is pretty high end. Like I feel like to take it even further, it would be like a full content patch. And at that point, it's you know it's weighing of like, oh, do we you know take some people and put some more time into the game? You know, like um, if we were to do like uh, you know like music updates or whatever, it may be something that we you know add some more visuals and like higher quality for future phones or whatever. Sure. Uh, I mean, you you mentioned a little bit. Uh, let's go back a bit. You you talk about how. Tim came in one day and said, "Hey, I have an Ouya. Let's make something for it." Uh, like, how much? How much more did Tim have involved with this? Because, like, as we as we kind of talk about, it is still Tim's company, despite him kind of stepping back to let people like Brad Muir and uh, and Tasha and Lee and all these people come in to make kind of their own games. Uh, but he's still he's kind of gone into almost a, a Miyamoto type of role where. His, he kind of touches everything, but he isn't necessarily the sole guy on everything anymore. Is that yeah. is that a fair assessment? Yeah, for sure, for sure. He was he was pretty hands off on Dropcord. Um, I mean, in terms of like a risk factor, there wasn't too much. You know, like the game was uh, the the Radius prototype that we put together um, was a pretty solid foundation of where we're going to go with the game, um, and. Uh, He's a really big proponent of of this idea where, like, um, okay, you and I, right? Like, I've got a game idea, and I tell you about it, mm-hmm. and then you go and make it. Like, that game that you make, even if uh, you have, like, an ultra-talented team, is probably not going to be as good as if I make the game. Sure, because I have like, my own you know, context with it. And, and whatever, and, like... You know, I'm, I, I just feel more invested into it and stuff like that. And so um, uh, he's a really big champion of that idea. And so whenever someone, you know, like 
is pushing forward on a game idea and it gets signed or, you know, gets funding or whatever, um, and then they become the project lead, he kind of takes a step back because he understands that if he hovers too much, like, it's going to cloud what the game will be. And, you know, like, um, you know, if, if he was standing over me kind of, like, pointing at things that he liked or didn't like, like, I would start to not trust myself with the game and, sure. like, then try to only appease him, and it would hurt the development. So he stepped back a little bit, but, you know, he's still, um, he's still like, creative director of all the projects. And so he, uh, he really liked, you know, like, um, playtesting, as we're moving forward with the game, especially because we're putting out on Leap um, and, you know, people hadn't used that thing. And so we wanted to make sure that it was intuitive. And, um, I don't know. Yeah, he uh, he really kind of stepped back for it. It was, it was nice. It was really nice. Sure. I mean, it's always got to be nice to have the, like, a fallback of, you know, I could, if I do have a question, I can go to this guy who's made some games people kind of like. Yeah, it turns out, it turns out that guy knows how to make games. He knows a few things. Well, that's great. Um, okay, I have I have a question that has kind of bugged me as I've played Drop Chord. You, you come in, you play the game, you, you have your, your two fingers on there, and it's telling you, okay, play. And so I go, all right, I, I'm going to play, this is the version. And I play, I get a score, and that score kind of goes away a little bit. Uh, the leaderboards actually goes for a different mode, which is this full mix. Uh, do you, first, do you want to talk a little bit about full mix, and then we can go into uh, the leaderboard aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. So the the game was kind of built in uh, built in chunks. You know, we built the 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 main part first, and then um, we had this awesome, awesome music coming in. Um, and I almost felt like we were doing like this disservice to our musicians because they were sending us these like awesome tracks, but we have to, we have to cut them up, you know, because the way that the uh, the level structure in the standard game of drop chord works is you go into a new level and it plays kind of this like intro piece, which is generally like three or five seconds long or something, and then it gets into this looping section. And at that point, you're hitting the notes trying to fill up your your verse meter. Um, and then once the verse meter gets full, the song transitions into the pre-chorus, and then uh, once that finishes. It goes into the chorus, and that's kind of the bonus stage, and then onto the next track. Um, and so we would get these, we would get these, these like tracks from these artists, and then we kind of have to cut them up into that section. And I was like, man, I really wish there was a way that we could just play these songs as they were meant to be played. Right. Um, and that was kind of the idea with the full mix is we wanted more game modes. You know, like we always wanted it to be bigger. Um, but uh, the full mix idea was like, all right, we're going to have this this kind of like scripted, um, almost a campaign version of the game that has like tutorials and kind of like slowly introduces the mechanics and lets you figure them out or whatever. Um, but then we're going to have the, the real score attack version of the game. Mm -hmm. um, and that version is just going to randomly pick one of the visual types. It's going to randomly pick one of the songs. It's going to play the song in entirety uh, while it has a visual type, and then when it switches to the next song, we'll switch the visuals up, um, and it just gets harder until you lose. You know, you never get any more health. Um, and so that's the idea of Full Mix. Is Full Mix is really like the score attack version. Okay. Uh, and so your question about the leaderboards is a little bit, it's a little bit funny because at one point we had 
both modes uh, funnel the scores into the leaderboard. Mm. But then near the end of the game, we're kind of like, well, that's kind of stupid because if you play the, the standard game, um, it's a fixed amount of time. And, like, there's actually a fixed score that you could get. Like, it would vary a little bit according, you know, play session to play session, but if you played a perfect game, you're going to end up with something like 32 million. Right. Uh, and so if people are playing perfect games, like, that's the best score. And full mix ramps up so much faster than the, than the standard game that you will never get that score uh, in full mix. And so it, it just didn't feel right. And so, like, near the end of production, we, um, we pulled the... Uh, pulled the leaderboard, like pulled the, the standard game scores piping into the leaderboard. Okay. And the leaderboard is only full mix. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. Yeah. It was just interesting for me because I, I first downloaded the game. I couldn't wait to play it. I played a little bit. Uh, I got a score. I thought, you know what? I did actually pretty well, which the only comparison I had was how I played at PAX East, which was pretty terrible. <laughs> um, so I get a score, and I went, oh, man, this is a pretty decent score. And then it didn't really have anywhere to go. Uh, so I just... Yeah, and then it just disappeared right I was like, oh, wait, I have to play this again on a different mode to actually hit a leaderboard. All right. Uh, yeah. So, that so was, it was just an interesting uh, thing uh, that I wanted to uh, at least t- touch on a little. Yeah, yeah, it feels a little bit incomplete to me. So um, actually what I just finished working on today was... Um, uh, leaderboards for the standard version. Okay, cool. Um, we're going to patch the game in a couple weeks with uh, some feedback we've seen from, from people and some um, small little bug things. Um, and actually what we're adding to the Android version is leaderboards and achievements because that Google Play services kind of came on late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that patch, um, we will address your concern. <laughs> okay, that's, that's awesome. I mean, uh, and that's, I mean, that's an interesting place to go, talking about feedback. Uh, you've been to a show, you've been, you showed off the game at PAX East, and, and now that the game's out, you've been gathering feedback, I, I'm sure. Uh, so what, what kind of feedback have you gotten, uh, and, and how has that affected how the game uh, was developed before release and now after release? Uh, I mean, you're talking about some things that are getting patched. Yeah, yeah, um... I'll tell you one of the uh, one of the craziest times of a developer's life is as soon as you release a game and then you watch the internet react to it. <laughs> it is a combina- It's like the greatest and worst thing ever at the same time. Um, and so we've seen lots of feedback. For the most part, it's really good. People are really digging the game. They really like the music. Um, but uh, you know, we've seen some people that thought it was a rhythm game. Um, complain about it not being a rhythm game, which, I don't know, that's just managing expectations, I guess. Sure. Um, and then we've seen um, a number of people say, like, oh, yeah, there's these two modes, and it's like a high score attack thing, but then after that, that's kind of it. And uh, that one I tend to agree with. You know, like, um, you always want to put more into a game. You always want to make it bigger and, like, polish it up more. And, um, I have, like, these big ideas for where the game could go, it was more just, um, well, the Leap was going to launch on this day, and we wanted the mobile versions out around the same time, and, you know, like, that gives us this much time, and what can we do in this much time? And you just have to cut things back. And, 
Sure. I mean, so, there are business considerations where like, you want to get on a Leap Store before it gets crowded with other apps and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And if we're going to do a big marketing push for the Leap version, you know, we may as well bundle up the uh, the mobile versions in there as well so that we don't have to do, you know, like two marketing pushes. and You know, like sometimes um, it's really nice to release on multiple systems at once because uh, – you know, like, for instance, I have an Android phone. If I read about a game that's on uh, iOS, like, oh, sweet, is it on my phone? Oh, no, it's <laughs> right. not. And then I forget about it. And so unless you catch my attention again when it comes out on Android, I probably won't ever get it. And so you have, like, this, I think they refer to it as a halo effect, mm-hmm. where um, someone may have, you know, like, purchased a leap and got drop cord and is having a super, you know, like, an awesome time with it. And it's super cool, and then they go tell their buddies about it, but their buddies don't have a leap, but they happen to check the app store, and it's on there, and then they get it, you know. So that's the benefit to having things come out at the same time. Sure. Because, I, yeah. I mean, I would call that the, the Hotline Miami effect because I saw Hotline Miami for PC, and that looked amazing, and I have a Mac, and I couldn't play it. Yeah. Um, but I, I bought it on the first day because it was half off, and, and they said, yeah, we'll make a, we'll make a Mac version eventually. And eventually they finally did, and I got to play a little bit on that, and then eventually they had a Vita version, and I got to really play it on that. Uh, and I mean, that's a game that I think was, was cool enough that uh, I stuck with it, uh, waiting for it. But yeah, I think it would have definitely been great to know that, hey, this really cool game came out, I would like to play it now, why isn't it on a device I, I own? Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at Torchlight 2 specifically because I'm still waiting for the Mac version of that to come out. That is, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be. Yeah, a long luckily time. we didn't have to, uh, um, you know, worry about like exclusivity. Like those are the scary ones. You know, like uh, I guess I've been waiting for Spelunky to come to Steam for <laughs> however long. I mean, you know, like the originals on there, but then like I want the XBLA one, but I don't have an Xbox anymore, and right. yeah. Anyway. And I'm, and that's another game that's coming to Vita at some point. I think it was already supposed to come out for Vita, but who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you're talking about the marketing, though, and, and that's really interesting to me because Double Fine has two, well, at least one highly highly known project right now, and that's uh, the, the Kickstarter for Broken Age, uh, the Kickstarter game Broken Age. Uh, and then I, I Massive Chalice, I think, has also been getting... A, a decent push as well for for the Kickstarter that it's it's had as well, uh, but Drop Chord's kind of been more of a quiet game in, in terms of the other two at least I, compared to the other two that have gotten these uh, Kickstarters and and a lot of uh, media attention and Drop Chord's just kind of under under the radar I guess uh, in, mm-hmm. in a sense would you would you agree Yeah 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 for sure for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of it, you know, like like uh, those Kickstarters uh, build on themselves, you know. Like um, when we put them out, like we really like try to get in touch with everybody we knew and point everybody to it. Um, but then once people start finding out about it, they tell each other. and um, They're really nice for marketing and like gathering a community around the game. And then, and then that community kind of like holds on throughout the development of the game. Um, it's really cool to see. Uh, for uh, for Dropcord, like it was just kind of Double Fine's like traditional marketing um, toward the game, you know, um, like uh, 
I don't know, showing it off at things like PAX and, and whatever. Um, there is a kind of a strange thing that happens with mobile games um, with marketing, and I don't know the reasoning behind this, to be honest, but I've, I've seen this happen where no one talks about, okay, with exception, no one talks about mobile games until they are just about ready. Because the idea is that if you announce, like, there's so much saturation in the mobile market that if you, like, get somebody's attention and say, check out this game I have, they better be able to buy it right there. Sure, that you and have so that very small window. Yeah, there's this idea that, like, okay, we're going to make this game, like, super stealth, and then big marketing push right as it comes out. Um, and, uh... I don't, I don't know how much I subscribe to that. I think I'm just kind of more a traditional gamer that, like, wants to know what everything, what's going on everywhere, and then I kind of set my bookmarks on, like, things I'm excited about, and then I will go search it out, you know? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's, um, that's how people approach it these days. Yeah, um, I mean... So- Oh, yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Uh, I, I, as a person who runs a podcast dedicated to handheld gaming, uh, I would I would totally say that you know handheld games should be held to the same standard as other games, and and they should have the same kind of marketing pushes and the same cycles with that. Uh, the the business uh, side of me can can understand that when you have something so saturated as like the the iOS uh, app store that. You're gonna you're gonna want that instant instant push where you can actually get something in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, yeah, and you know the other part to it was that uh, we were working with Leap, and um, uh, the Leap version was supposed to come out in May, uh, and so that's why we were you know like we we're developing the Leap one first, and then we we're planning on porting it to mobile afterward, um, but then Leap delayed it until July. And so then the Leap version just kind of sat there while we ported it to mobile and released them all at the same time. But the idea was that, um, you know, like Leap was doing a lot of marketing themselves and we were working with them. And so we were kind of like our marketing efforts were kind of playing off of each other. You know, like whenever we show the game, we like to show the Leap one. Um, and uh, the idea was, was then that, you know, like the Leap one had come out and then the game would be understood by people and then they would be kind of like waiting for it to come to mobile or whatever. Sure. Um, so, yeah. I, the, the leap's really interesting because I think, uh, especially because when you have people at PAX and maybe this is the first time, it was it was the first time for me uh, to experience the leap controller uh, through this game and, and I think a lot of people probably had the same experience, um, is, is the leap... Uh, something that you guys are are planning on continuing to support or is that something that you guys uh still use because it's it's not just for games it's really more of a a kind of different interfacing tool is it is it something that you guys actually use a double fine outside of games as as like a new mouse no i don't know if anybody's actually got it at their desk using it as like the third peripheral mm-hmm. you know for us right now it's it's just kind of like the wait and see thing like Dropcord is doing really well on the leap store um people are really 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 enjoying it and so it makes sense that we would work with leap again um and come up with something else or you know uh maybe extension on on drop cord or something like that but um uh the leap is like it's it's really young right now you know like i don't really know anybody that didn't stick their hand in front of the leap and 
you know, wasn't amazed the first time they did it. Um, but you still have to, uh, you still have to give people like a good, like reason to buy it. You know, like people can play games on lots of things. So I don't know if like only games is going to sell you on a peripheral for your computer, but there's a lot of cool stuff that's slowly coming out. Um, one of the cool things I saw was, uh, it uses the biometrics of your hand to unlock your computer. So <laughs> you put your hand above it, like the software uh, scans your hand and, and like identifies the size of your hand and whatever. Um, and then when your computer is locked, all you have to do is put your hand over it and it reads it and unlo- un- unlocks your computer. Like that's not going to sell me on a leap, but that is awesome. Yeah, definitely. And there's just a few more things like that. Then it's kind of like, wow, it's this device that does all this really good stuff and like, Hey, it plays games, and you know, like there's there's a bunch more reasons to buy it. And I think that um, uh, I think that they're just a few more apps away from being at that point. And I kind of feel like by the time we get to the Christmas season, like the leap is going to be this big thing, and um, or I hope it will be at least. Right. Um, I, I mean, it's one step closer to our Minority Report future. Right, right. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be wearing your Oculus Rift while you use your Leap controller, and you'll have your Track IR and your Novan Falcon, <laughs> just all your silly uh, PC peripherals all yeah, at once. You're gonna be you're gonna be on your like Omni treadmill, so you're gonna be <laughs> in a direction. Oh man. Um, yeah. So at, at that point, then the Leap you know grows its user base, and then it makes more sense for us to like aggressively pursue it. Sure. Um, Actually, I think our stance is pretty similar on the OUYA. You know, like, um, we want to test out, like, all business strategies, and we want to see what's working and what's not, whatever. But, um, man, at some point you got to sell the games. Right. You know? And, I mean, that was going to kind of be move into my next line of questioning. I know the game is, is really young, and, and you only know so much. Uh, and you're probably still, like, on the high of it releasing. But... Uh, we always kind of like to talk about the future and, and things like that. So uh, you've talked a little bit about your, your stance on the Leap and, and even stance on the Ouya. What are your uh, personal opinions on the Ouya? Do you own one? Do you, do you play a lot on it? Is it something that you'd like to make more games on? Um, I don't own one. Um, we've got a number on the office, you know, for development or whatever. And so we've downloaded a bunch of games and played them um, partially for, like, uh, um, like R and D, but whatever. Anytime you play games when you're in the industry, you can call it R and D. Um, I don't know. You know, like the price point is right. The uh, uh, like four people sitting on a couch playing small games like seems pretty cool. The um, the only thing that I worry about for the system is the uh, um, like the the pure horsepower of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, it's a dedicated unit. It plugs into the wall so you don't have to worry about the battery. Like, um, it's a powerful little machine, but phones get, like, are getting better and better and better at a crazy rate. And so I almost feel like they're going to have to, um, you know, like, release a new Ouya every year. But then I don't know if you could convince me to pay $100 a year for an Ouya um, to stay on like the bleeding edge with games and whatever. Um, I don't know. I think it's a sweet little device, but, uh, I'm a little bit cautious about it right now. Sure. Um, 
I mean, well, I mean, you have this game here that that's really cool for for this motion type touchscreen platform, and you guys have worked on games like Connect Party and Happy Action Theater. Is this is this a game that you feel like could be ported to the Connect next, or or the Move, or Wii U in some in some sense? Is that something you're even looking at? Uh, we're not we're not really looking at it. I think you could do it. You know, like. Uh, it would be strange to play with your hands in front of you, you know, but you could absolutely do it. Um, what I would really like to see it on is the Vita, because the Vita, like, has the horsepower to make it really pretty, and it's got the back touchscreen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I think that one could work super well. And it feels, to me, it feels like a PlayStation game, <laughs> you know? like Yeah, I can understand that with the kind of... Like an old PlayStation game in the sense of like Vid Ribbon or yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly. those kinds of games yeah that would be that'd be really cool I would I would love to play that on my Vita you should yeah. you should keep pushing that <laughs> yeah 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 um, I will but sometimes I don't get to make those decisions sure sure <laughs> well what are, what uh what are you doing now day to day at Double Fine now that the drop cord's out I'm sure there's still a lot more that you're working on with drop cord but. Uh, are you like going to move to another team soon for another game? Are you going to move on to uh, help out with Broken Age or Massive Chalice or something like that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. Right now, it's it's kind of support. Like I said, we're going to have a patch out, um, and so I was doing some, you know, the leaderboard work and uh, and just tweaking the gameplay a little bit. Um, uh, after that, I think uh, I think I am going to be helping out the Massive Chalice team a little bit, kind of doing like tools work. It's some um, some studio work we needed done and stuff. Um, and then after that, you know, like, uh, the, uh, um, like, Massive Chalice is really going to be ramping up once we get toward, like, November and whatever. Like, they're going to be getting in full production. And so I could be working on that. Or, um, you know, we always need more games to make, so <laughs> I can always pitch more games. Sure. <laughs> well, uh, how about, I mean... Uh, Drop Cord wasn't made for an Amnesia Fortnite, but that is something that Double Fine has gotten into, uh, or at least publicly, really recently. I know you guys have had some behind the scenes, and that's has led to a lot of the, the XBLA and Steam games that you've come out with. But um, I personally, I think uh, the last Amnesia Fortnite that you did uh, that was public went really well, and, and all of those games were pretty well received, and having the two-player productions... Uh, doing the video of that was really cool. Um, is how did how did you guys feel about it on your end? Is that something you guys would want to do again? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I'm really, really hoping that we do it again this year. I uh, it hasn't it hasn't come up, but it's become this this like staple to the double fine like process and even culture that um, it's not going to surprise me if we don't do it again. The uh, doing it public was bizarre. You know, like, that two weeks is about the most fun and stressful two weeks of game development you can have. You know, like, you do a game jam, and it's over the weekend or something like that, and and that's, like, fun, stressful. Um, but these aren't, like, you know, like, if we don't do these prototypes very well, like, we may not have games to pitch. And, like, we're an independent studio, and so we always have to have high-quality you know, like pitch demos, and um, and there's also this like this like friendly competition that comes out of it. 
especially with this last one where everybody threw out an idea. Sure. And let the internet pick it. Like, I don't know what that was. That was crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, then it, it turns into like, all right, there's six teams or whatever. And like, you want everyone's game to be super good, but you want your game to be the best. And so everybody's like working crazy hours. And then we threw in like, hey, every day we're going to live stream our team meeting and like, you know, Greg Rice is running around with the camera most of the day, and um, holy crap, that was uh, that was intense. That was super fun. Um, the only thing that I would like to see, you know, like the the online voting, I thought was super fun, um, but I would like to see kind of like a pairing down of ideas. Like it would be cool if we did like, you know, like NCAA bracket type of thing, sure. where like these two games are against each other and everybody votes and you kind of vote it down. Um, Maybe I'm bitter because bad golf didn't get picked. <laughs> <laughs> I, rem- I remember the pitch for bad golf. That seemed fun. I, I mean, I think it was also tough because you had uh, this voting system where somebody could potentially vote for every game. Yeah, that was bizarre. And then there was something else that was screwy about it. Like, I think it showed you the votes before you voted. Yeah, so you already yeah. kind of knew, like, who was doing really well. And so you right. naturally gravitated to, well, here are the five that are doing okay. Maybe I should cast my vote for something that might count. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, everybody had an opinion that week that we were doing that voting. Like, everybody had a different way to to um, solve the problem or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see if we do it again. I, I, I think we will, but... Um, there hasn't been, you know, no one's confirmed it for me yet, so sure. we'll see. And which game did you end up working on for, for that? Oh, I worked on uh, Lee Petty's game, Autonomous. Okay. Nice. Yeah, and that, that was a blast. That was amazing. That did look but, really cool. Like, I, I have a Mac, so I, I wasn't able to play any of them. I, I definitely enjoyed watching all of them. Um, I, I, know, I have a virtual machine. Maybe I could try doing a little bit of that, but... Yeah. The other thing that was super fun about that, um, you know, like two-player, I think, worked harder than anybody else in our studio. They put together, like, daily videos, and they stayed up way too late every night cutting those together. Um, (laughs) They did a super awesome job, but what they ended up with, like, that stack of videos um, is, like, one of the greatest game development resource tools I think I've ever seen. You know, like, if you really want to know what it takes to build a game in a short amount of time, like... This is, like, where the ideas come from. This is how you communicate with the different disciplines. This is how the pieces come together. Like, these are the problems that come out. Like, that was that was really cool. Yeah. As much as I love the, the Broken Age ones, where I'm, I'm getting to watch those videos and see that development, the, the Amnesia Fortnite getting to see two weeks really condensed, I think that was almost even cooler in that if there was a game that maybe you weren't as interested in, just wait five minutes because they're going to talk about a different game coming up. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That was, that was really cool. All right, well, I guess my, my last real question, um, what do you know about Psychonauts 2? Psychonauts 2, huh? Yeah, that's, that's happening, right? Oh, man, I wish. <laughs> um, man, that thing, that's going to... I don't know. It's it's either going to happen at some point and be like, like, you know, harder to live up to than like Halo Four was to <laughs> Halo Three, 
or it's never going to happen, and it's going to be like one of the greatest tragedies in video games that it never happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it also would be bizarre, though, you know, like for Double Fine to condense back into a single game studio um, would be a, like it would be a difficult transition, really, just because uh, all the like projects timing would have to work. You know, sure. like everybody's on different schedules, and so. Um, we'd have to like slowly roll people into one project. And so then the idea is like, all right, only three, three quarters of the studio would make a, a big game like that. And then, then the other quarter would kind of do like support or smaller games or whatever. But, um, yeah, I want to see it happen just as much as you. <laughs> I, I have resigned myself to the fact that it probably will never happen, but, uh, I have, I have enjoyed seeing Raz come out in different things. Uh, he just came out for, uh, what's the DLC for Runner 2 called? Is it Happy Friends or something like that? Uh, yeah, it was like Good Friends. I yeah. Think. yeah. And so seeing seeing Raz pop up in different places is always encouraging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Uh, Patrick, I, I want to thank you for coming on here. Do you, you haven't, I mean, I was going to ask for plugs, and uh, I think Drop Chord's probably your biggest. Yeah, I think at the moment, <laughs> I can't really think of that thing consumed my life for the past bunch of months. So, uh, so yeah, Drop Chord is out on the Leap Store, which is called Airspace. It's out on iOS. It's on Android. It's on Ouya. Um, we'll have some uh, some patches just for you for the iOS and Android versions coming in a few weeks. Excellent. And and you've got the album out on on the iOS store, and it's on Bandcamp too, right? Yep, it's on Bandcamp, Google Play, Amazon. Oh, and this is awesome. Uh, we have, there's a, there's, we refer to it as the extended mix. There's like a 13 minute, um, kind of mashup that our audio director put together from the, um, from the soundtrack that's on YouTube right now, but we're pressing that onto vinyl. And so we'll have vinyls, um, of that for packs. Very cool. Um, how about Twitters? Uh, I know Double Fine's official Twitter is at Double Fine. Do you have a Twitter? Yeah, it's play more V games. Okay, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah, my website is play more video games, so that's the best I could get. Right, uh, and that's that's your personal website. Yeah, that's just kind of a brain dump of um, everything I you know have worked on in the past bunch of years. I did take a look. Uh, is it is it called Rumble Pit or? Yeah, Rumble Box. Rumble that was Box. My, uh, that was my that was essentially my senior thesis at Double Fine. That looked nuts. Yeah, that game's great. <laughs> oh, very cool. Uh, before we go, how about any games that you're playing right now? Anything that people should check out other than Drop Chord? You know, uh, Mercenary Kings by Tribute Games. Oh, yeah. They did a Kickstarter for it, and uh, they're in open beta on Steam right now. But that game, that game's great. I've been playing a lot of that game recently. Very cool. Great. Well, uh, awesome. Patrick, I want to thank you for, uh, for coming on here, man. And uh, Drop Chord's great. People should buy it. Um, and, uh, and thank you all for listening to another edition of uh, Gamers on the Go. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks, probably, with a, with a new handheld game and a new guest. Uh, but thank you all for listening. Take care, guys.